The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to IAN's NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today, Vietnam vet and NDE-er Steve Gardapee, is married with a son and daughter. He was one of six kids and comes from a military family. His dad was in the Army Air Corps and his son is now retired after serving 28 years in the Navy. Steve himself joined the Air Force Reserves in September of 1966. In the spring of 1968, he transferred to active duty in the U.S. Army and went from basic training to nine months of helicopter training. April 1969 to April 1970 was his first tour in Vietnam. He was sent to instructor pilot school and then returned to Vietnam and was put back into the slick platoon flying UH-1H helicopters and then into the scout platoon. On the 28th of July, he was tasked to find an enemy force that shot up a Huey, killing several people in the aircraft. He found the enemy's base camp, but his helicopter came under intense fire, hit more than 100 times, and was shot down. His right Achilles tendon was severed by shrapnel. A bullet went through his left leg, and his arm, his left arm was all but blown off. Both bones in his left forearm were shattered, and one major nerve and one artery severed. Most of the muscle was also blown out. His crew chief gunner received a bullet, and, uh, and here to tell what happened after that is Steve Gardapi. Steve, welcome to NDE Radio. Yeah, good afternoon. <laughs> Steve, you said in an interview at Lake Conroe that uh, that you had, up till that time, you'd been raised thinking God was a vengeful, vengeful God and you were angry with him. But Steve, there you were, you and your gunner on the ground, all shot up and, and losing blood. What were you thinking about God at that point? I was starting to bargain with him, despite how I had felt about him in my previous life. And like I said, I was in the middle of the base camp. Steve and I were in the middle of the base camp. We were surrounded by the enemy. The aircraft first was total, and I was getting weak real fast because of my blood loss. And I, quite frankly, I started bargaining with God. I knew the only way I could get out of there was for him to get me out of there. I, I couldn't do it on my own. Yes, wow. Now, were you in a lot of pain, or, or was that... Um... Was it something that you were in such so much shock that you weren't feeling a lot of pain? Well, initially when I was shot, when I was still flying, I didn't even know I was shot. I felt absolutely nothing. I didn't even feel the impact. It was when I couldn't feel the control in my left arm, but I looked down and saw my arm. Well, I couldn't even find it. It was missing. It was blown behind my gunner's back. Mm. Shortly after that, we crashed. My gunner pulled me out of the aircraft laid me on the ground, and by then I was, I think I was starting going to shock, and I felt a little tingling in my left arm. Mm. And uh, my gunner was kind of yelling at me that I was losing blood, and he was getting a little nervous. But again, I felt absolutely no pain. I just felt kind of a numbness and started feeling lightheaded. Mm. And, and then I think you said you, things started to get blurry and, and go to gray and, and then to black? Yes, I, I was as I was laying there trying to, Get, you know, orient myself to where I was in the, in the base camp in relation to where I knew the bunkers were because my over you know, my overhead uh, analysis of the base camp. And I was looking around, and my vision started getting a little blurry. 
And it, this happened rather rapidly. Mm. And it was getting more and more blurry. Then I was starting to see kind of gray. And I was losing. At some point, I couldn't distinguish anything. I was just seeing pure gray. And then that started turning, like from the outside in, getting tunnel vision. It turned black until all I could see was black. Then the black started shrinking, and all I saw was a speck of black. Mm. And at this point, I guess you saw yourself. You saw your your head lying by a bush, and realized that you were out of your body. Actually, at the time, I it, I didn't realize it was out of body. I, I remember laying there as I was looking around, trying to figure out where I was in the base camp in relation to the bunker. So, and as you look at yourself, I saw my legs, and I saw my. You know, my body, as I'm looking around, you just happen to see yourself. And as I was looking, I noticed, well, I remember years later, I was looking at my entire body and I was, I'd say about 10, 15 feet above it. And that's when I noticed my head was laying next to this one little bush. That was one of the points of orientation that I had picked out when I was scouting the base camp. Wow. And then from that point, everything started getting black around me. That's when I started getting tunnel vision. Everything went black except for this tiny little speck. And all I could see was total whiteness and a little black speck. Mm. And then I think you said your consciousness started to expand. Exactly. At that point, I'm looking at this black speck, and the black speck started expanding out, and everything inside that circle was incredible enhanced abilities. And, it, and I was still near the ground with that black speck, and as it opened up, everything inside that, I'll call it a bubble, I could see mainly it was expanding into the ground, into the, the tree. I could see the roots of the tree, but I wasn't looking at them as we look at something three-dimensionally. I was totally enveloped everything inside that bubble. Mm. I could see the cells of the plant and the water molecules and the nutrients as they're permeating the cell walls and bringing nutrients up like veins inside the plant. And I was able to keep track of tens of thousands of cells and molecules and all these nutrients and it dawned on me, that's how a plant survives. And I remember thinking, this is so simple. Mm. Why couldn't we understand it before? Wow. And at some point, the blackness went to a bright light, didn't it? Right. I, I was looking at, at the, uh, again, I'll, I wasn't looking at, I was absorbed in all these cells. And then everything started getting brighter and brighter as I was just looking at this one bubble. As I was starting to so continue to expand out, and as I expounded, expanded, Things were getting brighter and brighter until it was so bright. But as it got brighter, it I could feel it. it I felt a, a wonderful feeling. And the brightness should have hurt my eyes, but it, it was calming. And it was like, like a sense of love, just brightness, until it got so bright, it became indescribably bright. Wow. And then all of a sudden, I was enveloped in just a pure, super bright light. Wow. I think elsewhere you described it as so bright anything compared to it was like a dark hole right and you, you know of course our human mind had a limited ability to perceive things and so we think something is bright like you look at metal it's, as you heat it it's red then it's orange then it's yellow then it becomes so bright we can't look at it mm -hmm. and this went almost infinitely beyond that and the only way i could describe it a, a description i came up with sometime later was it was so bright it was an incredible clearness it was so bright as to be clear there, there is no ability in the human uh, ability to see, to imagine something that bright. Mm. And yet I think you've also said that uh, we confuse light with love. So this is really uh, a God's love experience that you're experiencing. 
Well, and, you know, since I was still kind of in awe of, of what was around me, I, I started to feel a presence. And the presence, as I was feeling it, I was aware of, I wasn't like in front of something. I was completely surrounded by a presence. At the same time, I realized I was completely surrounded by love, a love that was so intense. But I actually felt it, which we can't imagine that again in this, this the body that we're in today. Mm. But it was uh, like I, I kind of jokingly tell people, you stand in air that's there's no movement. And it's the same as your body temperature. You can't feel the air, although you know it's there. And like I say, you soak in a nice, warm, comforting bath. You can feel the water. You can feel the warmth. Of course, this love was infinitely beyond that, but I actually could feel God's love. It's indescribable. Wow. And that initial expansion of your consciousness that you described earlier, God said more about that, didn't he? I always thought if and when I went to wherever heaven supposedly was, which I found out later, you don't go to heaven when you die. You become everywhere. That's what heaven is. You become everywhere with God. And I was aware of these what I call superpowers. And I'm thinking this is, in my mind, infinitely more powerful than I ever imagined God to be. And here I am, you know, just my little humble self. And I've got all these powers. And so I kind of said to myself, I'm a super God. I was really impressed with my ability to do things the human mind can't grasp. And <laughs> people have asked me if God spoke to me. I felt his thoughts. His thoughts were my thoughts, but he didn't say words to me. So everything I describe are words that I have used to describe the thoughts that he let me experience. And he was kind of amused at me, kind of almost lovingly, but laughingly. I think I'm a super God. <laughs> and uh, mm. all of a sudden I got this image and it was like two hands came out of this light out of nowhere holding this, this tiny little premature baby. And I could feel his emotions. And he was like a proud father, like I felt proud when my son and my daughter were born. And I could feel the exact same feelings. Like he was just a, a common person filled with immense love that was so proud, like I was the only thing in his universe at that moment was just me. And his thoughts were, you're now being born into my world. And it's also, even in the state that you are in, is what the thought he conveyed to me. And of course, as a super God, he said, you cannot begin to comprehend what I am. Which mm. I kind of put me back in my place. Now, I didn't think I was a God, but I didn't have words to describe what I had become. And yet as this being that was infinitely powerful, I was still a premature infant compared to what God himself is. And I thought that was interesting because you said you you yourself were actually a premature baby. Yes, I was when I was born at seven months. Uh, I was somewhere around there. I was about four pounds. My parents had told me, so I was a little tiny thing. Quite a quite a few years of my life. So it's almost like me looking at myself when I was born with the proudness that I felt when I watched my son and my daughter. Wow. So while God was saying you can't comprehend me, he was still saying you were going to expand out into everywhere. Well, at, at that point, I, I knew I was in God's presence, and I was just overwhelmed by his love and how comfortable I felt there. Mm. And, and the other thing that, that surprised me about being in, well, like I'll say being in heaven, is when I got shot up, my gunner 
saw me as being unconscious, but I never lost consciousness in my mind. I transitioned from my body into this little dot and then expanded out into God's world. And my mind never lost track of time. It never lost any sense of self-awareness. So, so again, I'm up there in heaven and all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, where's my body? Mm. I couldn't see my body, but I could feel myself. So I started touching my, you know, my, my chest and my arms. I touched you know, my right hand and my left hand and my left hand and my right, which of course my body on the ground didn't have that left arm and left hand. So it, it was fascinating to me. I was complete and healthy and strong, even though I couldn't see my body. And as I was feeling myself, God made known to me, he said, I want you to leave your fat body, if you will, and expand out into the cosmos, into his world. And I kind of stepped out, for lack of a better way to put it, and I was everywhere all of a sudden. I was automatically everywhere in God's creation. And it frightened me for a moment, and I stepped back in. And I, I stepped in and out, and God kept encouraging me, I want you to expand out. And my word's not his, but his thought was, I want you to expand out into the cosmos, into my creation, and know all these things. You know, I, I can get down to a, a cell and know all the aspects of a single cell, yet at the same time, I could know all things of God's entire creation. And I could feel love that, you know, of course, God's love. And so the last time I stepped in my body, it dawned on me, it was self-confining as to be very, very uncomfortable. And I know any time I wanted to go in, I could if I wanted, but I no longer wanted to. I wanted to be out there with God and his creation mm. and explore everything that he had ever created and have the ability to understand it, and to appreciate it, and to enjoy it. And to also enjoy all of, like I said, incredibly immense love. Did you feel like you were looking at all of creation or that you were all of creation like God? It's going to sound absolutely. But, you know, that in the Bible, they talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost and the Trinity. And it's not just that. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is what I felt there. And all of us, we are part of God. Mm. So we are part of his creation. It's um, So, yes, I, I felt that I'm like kind of part of him. It, it's uh, like a homogeneous situation. Right. Wow. Oh, yes, I, I, God is, it's like God is separate, and I was separate, yet we're the same, just like the Trinity. When you were looking at this expanded view of things, did you see other beings, uh, alien worlds, that sort of thing? No, actually, during my whole experience, other than around that, that bush and the tree roots, and the, like I said, the, the grains and the sand and all, that was the only thing I saw, like God was giving me a glimpse of what my powers would be, and then, like I said, I, I closed into this little black dot. I mean, I'm sorry, as after I expanded out, and as I was expanding out, it got brighter and brighter. Uh -huh. Then all of a sudden, I'm just surrounded by this super bright light, which I could feel as, as, a, as a love. But during my entire experience, I, at, I never saw anything other than I felt God's presence. I saw the image he gave me of the, the premature baby, but I had no visions of anything else. Mm. At that time, it's just like a personal conversation between he and I about, you know, he loved me and he wanted me to enjoy his creation and wanted me to go out and be part of it and be part of him. Did you have the sense that you were, th that all of creation was 
heaven or was heaven a, a, a different place? No, heaven, I was talking to my father one time, like I, I kind of alluded to earlier, and I said, the perception is, or the belief is when you die, you go to heaven. When you die, you don't go anywhere. You become everywhere. So heaven is God. God is heaven. Everything that he creates, it's like you have the physical world of everything he created, then it like overlaps into the spiritual world of everything he created. But in heaven, we can explore and enjoy the physical cosmos or his physical creation. At the same time, we enjoy the the holiness and the goodness in heaven. It's like they overlap. Mm. I think somewhere you said that uh, it's like having all the knowledge of the dictionary, but the bad words aren't there, which I thought was a great description. Yes, that, that was, I, at that testimonial I gave at the Crosswaters event, I, I, I'm trying to make it simple for people. As I say, take a, a large dictionary and anything that has any negative connotation or meanness or sadness or regret, and you tear that out. It's as if God has forgiven everything and he has taken away the, per, the ability to perceive pain or suffering or regret or guilt. And the only thing in heaven is goodness and happiness and forgiveness and love and awe and, and beauty. It, it's, it's hard for the human mind, or at least me, to, to, con, to grasp the concept of everything good and absolutely nothing bad. And I think at that conference, he said also, God wants to love and wants to forgive everything, but we have to want it. In other words, it just doesn't come automatically. And so at one of the testimonials that was given at, at one of our events, a man given the testimonial said, he gave a gift. He described what God gives us as a gift. Then he went further to describe a gift as something that is freely given to you, like no strings attached, so to speak. But you have to accept it. You can't get a gift if you won't accept it. It's not a gift to somebody that can give it to you. So to, to get God's gift of love in heaven, we have to want it. We have to ask for it. Mm. We can't, like I said in my video, God will not pull us kicking and screaming into heaven. But if we want to go, like I said, I'm laying out there and I tell people, you know, they say you're dying. I was in the physical process, I guess, of my, my body function shutting down. I was in the process of dying. Then I said, boy, then I got religion. And I, I didn't mean it to be flippant, but when I was thought up and I said, God, I'll be good for a week. Just get me out of this jungle. And then as I'm dying, I thought, wow, I'm, I'm dying. Is there time? You know, it, it's, I'm in the process of dying. I said, God, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. What's going to happen if I, if he doesn't forgive me? And then of course, it's like instantly I knew I was forgiven, but I, I did ask for forgiveness. And I said, I'm sorry for what I've done to you, even though it was a selfish motive. Mm. But I meant it. It wasn't, you know, people say, I'm sorry, and they don't really mean it. I knew this was my last fraction of a second to, to get things right, and God accepted me at that last moment. Yeah. You said at that interview at Lake Conroe that up till that time you had said, we can't comprehend what God promises. And uh, when you're promised something that you can't comprehend, you figure you haven't been promised anything nothing at all. But at the point that you were dying, you suddenly comprehended everything, including God's love. <laughs> I comprehended. You know, so I was going to lose God's love if I didn't go back into, you know, during your life, you're told there's a loving God. Some people say there's a meat vengeful God. Most of my life, I heard it was a meat vengeful God, but I said, there's, I'm going to lose everything. And I've got this heaven that I've 
you know, other people told me about the, the wonderful heaven. So I didn't want to lose that. And the other thing, it wasn't that I just didn't want to lose heaven. It was like even my own father. I did things and I obeyed my father, not because I was afraid of him. My father was a good, loving father. And I didn't want to do bad things because I didn't want to hurt him. Well, it's kind of the same thing. I felt up there and I've taken criticism for this. And I, I preface it, if I sensed anything, God needs to love. If he has a need, it, he needs to love and he needs to be loved. Now, maybe need isn't the appropriate word, but I don't know another way to put it. Mm. One phrase you used, which I thought was very powerful, was God wants us to run to him. He wants that kind of enthusiasm, the kind of the power of love that he's expressing to us. He wants us to reflect back to him. I'm surprised at the parallel to human emotions that God had. Maybe he put it that way so I could understand it. But I was raised when you, like I've even heard many times, you go to the church, you should stand at the back of the church because you're not worthy to be at the front of the church and that close to God's presence, which is a joke because he's everywhere. <laughs> yes. But my father gave, he gave birth to me, or his, my mom did, but my father, because he wanted children to love. And when I went home to visit dad, it wasn't, that I cowered in front of my father, just like I didn't cower in front of God, and God didn't want that. Mm. He created me because he wanted me to, figuratively speaking, he wanted me to hug him and love him, and he wanted to do the same to me. Oh no, God wants us to love him. That's why he created us. I guess people have, some people, maybe they're taught that God created us to lord over us. No, that's, that nothing could be further from the truth. God created us to love us, and to have us love him. And he enjoys our love to him as much as we enjoy the love that he gives us. Right. Now, at some point, God said, told you, you're not ready to be there with him. <laughs> how did you feel? Well, as I realized how, how wonderful this was, it was nothing like I thought. And then I thought, other people will not realize where I am. It's, they will think it was the way I thought it was before I went to heaven. And especially my mom, my sister, my brothers, my friends, you know, my loved ones. And I thought, they're going to think I died this horrible death shot up in the jungles of Vietnam. And then people say he's in a better place. Man, that's an understatement of epic proportions. Mm. So I'm thinking, oh, no. And I said a prayer in a way. I said, Mom, I'm sorry what I did to you. Because I finished a tour and I volunteered to go back. And the first tour was pretty rough. And so had I gone home after the first tour, I'd have been okay. So I hurt my mom by going back. She lost one of the, well, would have lost one of the sons she loved. Yeah. And when I started feeling that sadness, all of a sudden God says, wait, you're not ready. And if that got my attention and I thought, well, what do you mean? I'm not ready. Well, what are you saying? And he, I was no answer. I said, I hope you're not saying that you're going to send me back. I hope you're not going to do what I think you're going to do because you can't show me the love and the beauty and everything of heaven. Now you're going to send me back to my body that's hurt and shot up in the jungles in the middle of a base camp surrounded by the enemy. And I started feeling a little resentment. Mm. And I said, I'm not going to go. If you send me back into my body, I'm going to make sure I die. Well, he wasn't angry at me. But I felt his sternness. Like I said, I could feel his emotions, his love, his happiness, his amusement, and his sternness. And again, my word's not his, but interpreting to words, the feeling was no. And he said the no twice. He said, no, no, you cannot take this. Only I can give this to you. 
And if you ever try to take it, it will never be yours. Mm. And uh, there was no doubt in my mind what that meant. Yeah. So I usually don't talk like religiously. And I remember saying, Father, because I felt like he was my father in a sense, an incredibly loving father. And I said, Father, your will be done. And then he sent me through, and people say that I've heard that they go through a tunnel. I think they say a tunnel of light. It wasn't, even though it was a bright, beautiful light, it was a tunnel of love. I was still surrounded by his love. Mm-hmm. And I went through this tunnel of love back into my body. Now, you said there were cast out demons that you saw as you were going back through that tunnel of love that were trying to grab you, haul you off somewhere? Yes, I. Yes, I got a sense of, that, that, and I say demons because, again, I don't know what other words used, and I have been criticized for that. Some people laugh at the term demon, well, because of limited human vocabulary, that's the best word I think people will come up with something that horrible. And I saw these, it wasn't so much I saw them, I felt their presence, but it was like a dark, shadowy, ugly thing. It was just like a dark, mean, hurting mass. And But it was a bunch of them, and they were trying to grab like me, because at this point, as I'm going to my body, I was I was back in, you know, back in, like inside my body, even though I couldn't see. I was no longer out in the entire cosmos. And they were trying to grab me, and I was fascinated by them. And I could tell that they were hurting. There was nothing good over where they were. Like I said, nothing bad in heaven, nothing good where they were. I didn't see any souls. All I could see was what seemed to me the cast out angels from the ones that disobeyed God back in the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't frightened because you can't be frightened when you're still surrounded by God's love. I wasn't frightened as far as I was fascinated and a little bit saddened that, that anything could be so tormented and so depressed and so had, had, had no hope. Well, I think you compared it to uh, seeing fierce animals that would kill you, but seeing them in a zoo. So the, the bars that keep you from being attacked by the animals, it was like God's love protecting you from them. Right. Even then, at that moment, I kind of actually felt that way of all things, as if I were like at a zoo or at an aquarium. Let's say you're at a zoo and you see the lions and the, you know, the vicious animals that can do you harm. Well, you're not frightened because you know they can't get to you. And there was no doubt in my mind they could not get to me and harm me in any way. So I was fascinated and trying to just take in the experience of, you know, because it was a curious thing, but I knew God was protecting me. He was also protecting me from the ugliness without protection to see if I could feel even uh, more than I did of their suffering and all that alone might've killed me because I know they were horrible and suffering, but God just gave me a tiny, tiny microscopic glimpse of what they were experiencing as they were trying to get to me. And it must be the frustration. I, you know, I'm, I die in the jungle or close to death, go to heaven, and from heaven going back to my body in both ways they couldn't they couldn't get me because God was protecting me and loving me. Yeah. And uh in a way like God, your gunner had dragged you around the jungle for three hours, protecting you from snipers and all sorts of dangers. I mean that's a miracle in itself. Well, poor, yeah, poor Steve, of course, I was unconscious during this time, feeling absolutely no pain. He said during the time I was crying and screaming, which, of course, alerted the enemy. Mm. He said they were following our blood trail. So, of course, he's, he had, uh, I'll say, one bullet wound. He's dragging me around. He's frightened. And then he had to go back to the aircraft. He said at one point, 
And uh, we had the medic up the M60. He was toting the M60. I had to go back for more ammo. And he was holding them off. Sometimes he said within three feet of them. Whoa. And then it back off. He'd get them. Then he'd grab me and drag them. He dragged me to another bunker, another hiding spot. And this went on for about two and a half, three hours. And there were so many enemy around us that uh, the Huey couldn't come in and get us. Now, we had overhead cover. I think he said there was another loach over us. We were in too, too close a proximity. The Cobras couldn't provide cover, but I think another loach provided cover for us for two and a half hours until finally the, the enemy was suppressed enough for Huey to come in. And uh, they loaded him and me on the Huey. I, I regained some consciousness, I remember, and Steve explained this to me because I thought the, the the guy flying the Huey, the aircraft man, was abusing the aircraft. You know how you can hear a Huey's blades pop? Mm. And uh, I thought, even though I'm hurt, you don't abuse the aircraft. And uh, Steve told me later, I was up at a cabin in Scott in Colorado Mountains, and he says, Steve, that wasn't the rotor blades. We were taking hits. They got that close once a Huey landed. They all gathered towards it, and we were taking hits as they were trying to get out of there with you and me. Wow. So they came that close again of, of getting us in Huey. I'm glad I was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> we're just about out of time, but I, I wonder, uh, tell us who you who the a first person was you told about your near-death experience, and how did they take it? There was a guy at work, another religious friend of mine, that I called Radical Bob, lovingly, <laughs> and he was telling me about reading a book on near-death experiences. I think that's how this happened, and I said, uh, oh, really? And I trusted him, and I told him that I had one, and he wanted me to read the book, and I said, no, I don't want to read anything about it. I've had my own, and I don't, I don't really need to read one but that was the first guy because he brought up near-death experiences and i was surprised there was a book on it and the thing on that that surprised me he just asked me to describe it like you did and i remember the thing that surprised him he said describe it when we got to the bright light I, I said i used the term it was an incredible clearness and he's and he looked shocked and he opened something in the book and he said i don't want you to read a book i want you to read this one sentence and in that book whoever it was that wrote it i don't know it was a man or woman they described the bright light as an incredible clearness. Mm -hmm. And he said, Steve, that can't be a coincidence that you both used the same word. So it was a guy when I was flying for this company, you know, uh, you know, you know, my friend Bob. And then from then on, word kind of got around, which this was a private thing. And then from then on, little by little, a few people knew about it, but I, I didn't go into explaining it to him. Yeah. Sounds like you found the right person to tell though. That's, that's wonderful. Well, I'm glad you did, and I, I, I hope lots of people listen to this because I think this is a very profound account of a near-death experience under incredible circumstances, and I'm sure many military guys have gone through this and have not been willing to talk about it because they're afraid they'll be called crazy or, you know, it will jeopardize their military career, all those, all those sad things that if people knew more about this, they would be more accepting of it. Steve, I'm I'm sorry to say we're out of time for today, but so much uh, <laughs> thanks in my heart to you for uh, sharing your re incredible near-death experience with us. I just say thank you for you know listening to the account of what happened to me. And one last thing I'd leave you with: the, the account that I have given, as I have told it, is absolutely totally inadequate 
for what actually happened. I, I, there are no human words and no way the mind can grasp what I went through, but I hope the way I've told it, some people have a tiny glimpse into what God's got waiting for us. Well, thanks again. If listeners would like to hear the show again or any of our more than 400 archived NDE interviews, please go to TalkZone's NDE radio site and hit the Past Shows button, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, NDE Radio with Lee Whitting, and listen for free to the complete NDE library of archive programs from 2013 until today. And listen again next Monday, 11 a.m. at TalkZone for more NDE Radio. I'm your host, Lee Whitting, saying thanks for listening. <laughs>